0: Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is All the Sacred Things. My name is Lisa Black, and um, this is just an introduction to the course that I feel has kind of been set out for me for the next 12 months to walk as many women through as are interested. I um, have had the same message brewing in me since I was a little girl, and there's been years and years and years of me just really kind of following other people's dreams and. A lot of my husband's dreams and that was all good and it was righteous and it was it taught me so much, but I really feel like this is a season at 51 almost 52 in a few weeks that um, I really want to help women walk through all of the different parts of being female and go back to how beautiful it is to be born female. And it's something I've always really enjoyed and embraced, but it has not been easy. And um, just quickly, I wanna share my story in this introduction for people that don't know and haven't heard it, but I was raised outside of Detroit and I was raised in the Baptist church and I loved it. It was a beautiful upbringing, really taught me scripture. Um, And everyone that taught me, of course, taught me what they knew and I, grew up to repeat those things without maybe necessarily doing the study myself. But I had a beautiful childhood, and I can't make up that I didn't, and I'm very thankful for my my family and the way that they raised me and the things that they taught me. But I also was extremely protected. I lived in the suburbs. Um, I was surrounded by brick houses. I really didn't know that there were people out there really suffering. Um, or people that were struggling. I didn't know that there were different um, ways that people made a living. I only knew kind of this one little perfect world that I lived in. And um, and when I got older, I started to see some of the pain in, in people's lives. And I started doing some volunteer work when I was about 17 years old. And um, young women started telling me their stories. And I was blown away that they were not only still here, but that they were functioning, that they were becoming mothers, they were becoming wives. They were trying to overcome these traumas that they had early in their life and didn't necessarily have the tools to do it, but were just kept showing up for life. And I loved that. And I kind of tucked that away in my heart. And I remember kind of praying and saying, you know, I wish I had a story because I didn't, at 17, I didn't have much of a story. There was some different things that happened with my older sister that were really traumatic, but that was still her story. It affected me, but it wasn't mine. And so when I was 19 years old, I went on a blind date on my 19th birthday with a wonderful young man who was everything I could have ever dreamed of if I was dreaming that way. At the time, I wasn't. And um, he really pursued me with his whole heart. We got married about um, 9, 10 months later. And um, he uh, and I had two babies together, a little girl named Alexis and a little girl named Emily. And about six years into our marriage, I noticed some changes in him, but they weren't major at all. There was uh, one day that he kind of snapped a little bit and kind of was short with his temper. That was unusual for him. Um, He was looking a little more tired than he had, but there was no big red flags. We were very much in that season of life where you're in your early 20s. And you're just building, you're just you're just on this escalator that's just going up, but there's no breaks. You don't have time to stop and think about it. You're just trying to like pay the bills and get your mortgage paid down and raise your kids. And so we were kind of in that season where he was working nights and I was working days and, and we switched off babies and gave each other a kiss on the cheek. But I, I can honestly say our intimacy, our friendship, it didn't seem to do anything but deepen. And um, there was one Saturday that he was supposed to go out with his brother just to go see a movie or something and I got a call hours later that he was he was really drunk and couldn't drive home and so I went and picked him up. I'd never seen him ever intoxicated before in our marriage because he had a very severe binging issue in college and so it alcohol was just it was very black and white he just didn't want it in our home. He didn't want to go to restaurants where they served it. His idea was just keep it completely out of your life. And it seemed to be working for him, so I never questioned it. So that particular night was was a wake-up call for both of us. And that next morning, we spent a lot of time just um, hugging each other, crying together. I asked a lot of questions. And I remember he, he said to me, basically, I vow to you that this will never happen again. I'll never let you see me in that condition. I'll never let the girls ever even be at risk of seeing me in that condition. And this will never happen again. It was a one-time thing. And we ended our conversation of hours um, sitting outside by him asking me, will you promise me that you'll never tell anyone about this? And it was easy for me to make that promise because loyalty is everything to me and integrity is everything to me. And so the vows that I had made to John um, five years prior to that on our wedding day, part of that to me was we protect each other, we have each other's back, and whatever happens between the two of us or in our home is nobody else's business. Looking back, of course, it probably would have been good to probably bring some wisdom or some older people into it or just let someone know what we were going through. But honestly, at that time in our life, I couldn't think of anyone that we could have shared that moment with and what it what it did to our hearts and, and, and the fear that came with it without complete judgment. We were very much in a religious system that was all based on performance. And there's a lot of pressure in that, that you probably don't even know that you're going through when you're in it. It was kind of what I was used to. And, um, I, I knew that everything had to look perfect or people would believe that you weren't serving God, you didn't believe in God, you'd broken your vows, whatever. And so in this moment of addiction, this moment of the past coming back, there was no safe place that I could think of that we could go without being the point of gossip. I couldn't think of anyone that would hold our, our secrets or our intimacy. And um, so I didn't tell anybody. I never told a soul what happened that day. And then life continued as normal. And um, it was November 24th, um, 1995. And we had hosted Thanksgiving dinner and just had his brother and his wife and his nephew and our kids and think the parents drifted through at some point. But um, that night we went to bed and the next morning John was getting up early to um, go work some overtime for the day after Thanksgiving. And I remember he kissed me on the head and said to Alexis, who was four at the time, make sure you take good care of mommy today. And um, he left and he thought he'd be home at five o'clock and he was just, he was very, uh, very organized, very put together young man. He was always where he said he was going to be. He was very responsible. And um, five o'clock went, came, went six o'clock, seven o'clock by eight o'clock at night. I was feeling a lot of um, fear and wondering where he was. No one was answering at the office where he worked. Um, It was before cell phones. So I had no way to track him down called everyone I knew that he worked with or might be with him or might know something and, um, nobody knew anything. And, um, I finally went down and laid on our bed about 1130 at night and just really cried out to God and said, I don't know what's happening, but I need you to show up in this moment. And it was very quiet in the house. Um, I felt very alone in that moment and, um, I just lay there and prayed and cried for hours. And there was a lot of fear and a lot of wondering of what could be happening. Um, my mind went to a place that said, you know, there was... car accident they just haven't found him yet or they haven't figured out how to contact me but i knew it wasn't good And about two o'clock in the morning i heard some noise in the front yard and i looked out the front window and there were there were red and blue flashing lights and a young officer came to the door and asked me my name which at the time was lisa hunt and gave me a piece of paper and said do you have to call these people immediately and when i called they informed me that john had um, passed away which was a bizarre way to put it for a 30 year old man who was very healthy. I was 25 at the time and the girls were two and four. And so you can imagine everything that came out of that um, being widowed young and having two little girls, honestly, The most difficult part of losing John was the way that the the local kind of community, church, whatever that represented to us, really, I felt like turned on me and the girls instead of embracing us. And there was a lot of judgment with the fact that he had died in a bar. Um, that maybe I wasn't who I said I was, that I was covering for him, or how could I not know that he was struggling and all these different things. There was just a lot of accusation. And at that time in my life, I went into full defense mode. Um, I've got a a lot of fight in me, and my fight there was protecting his name and defending him and, and trying to bring some stability to the girls. So not long after that, I picked up my two-year-old and four-year-old, and we moved across the country to Colorado Springs because I wanted to start a new life in a new house with a new community and not be constantly asked the same questions over and over again, not feel like I always had to defend what happened, not feel like I had to protect my girls from all the gossip and the things that were happening. It was the best move I could have ever made. God was absolutely in it. He showed up with so much grace and so much mercy. And I began to run in the mountains, and um the sunshine in Colorado is unlike any place I've ever been. And it just literally was a place where God spoke to me in, in on the hiking trails and just began to just tell me who I was and the dreams he had for me and what he knew about my heart that nobody else knew. And it became a time of just really deep, beautiful healing. And I went back to volunteering again, which turned into a, a, um, a full-time position as a crisis counselor. Loved the work I did. I worked lots and lots of hours. Um, I My girls were healthy. They were beginning to thrive again. We were healing. We were about four years into our our journey of single mom and um, fatherless little girl just trying to figure out the world. And a man came into my office where I worked. Men did not come in my office where I worked because it was primarily um, a women's clinic. And um, usually the only people that came in were like gang members. And they were very obvious that they were gang members. And I learned a lot about face tattoos. I learned a lot about like what was really happening in the city I lived in. And my heart just grew for the people, all the people, the single moms, the the dads that were really trying to do the right thing and were stuck in a system of poverty. And I began to speak in the, the elementary schools, the middle schools, and the high schools and sharing my story. And just always afterwards, people would come up to tell me their story and they would thank me for my vulnerability. But I realized like everyone just really wants someone to hear their story and to listen. And Anyway, this man came into my, my office and I had no, I didn't think of him as someone that I would date. I was not interested in dating. I was very focused on other things. I kind of saw men as a, a distraction and um, I was afraid to let my guard down again. I was afraid to have fun. I was afraid to laugh. I was afraid to have a sex drive. I was afraid of all of that because I felt like that part of my life was over at 29, and that I just really needed to focus. And I am kind of a black and white person. It's been part of my journey to kind of learn how to even all that out and learn the balance. But Gary Black came in and sat down in my office and he said, I've heard about the things that you're doing in this city. I have all these interns. They have to do volunteer work. It's part of their program. Do you have volunteer opportunities? I'm the volunteer coordinator. Of course I do. I had no idea that he had... um, sort of been stalking me and was interested in me and other things. I totally missed it. He left my office and I thought, "What a uh, what a beautiful man. Like what an amazing man." But it never occurred to me that he would be a future for me because he had uh, just gone through a divorce. He had three little boys he was in the middle of a horrible custody battle and all I saw was chaos and my life kind of was like fitting in all the boxes at that point, you know, like my bills were paid, everybody was healthy. Um, my girls were stabilizing. I was stabilizing, but I also had no real womanness to my journey at that time. I was just working. I was, I was just focused on paying off my mortgage. I was just like consumed with fears of what could go wrong and afraid to take any risk. Anyway, he pursued me intensely and, um, one day he brought his boys in to meet me and I kind of fell in love with these little boys. They were eight and six and two and a half and they were just the most amazing little humans I'd ever met and I just kind of fell so in love with them and watching them with their dad and seeing this man whose life was being torn apart on so many levels and he was being just tested in pretty much every way a man can be, but he was still so gentle with his children and with my children. And he was so, um, he was so present with us when he was with us. And he still would override the grief that he was going through to keep ministering to people and keep loving people and keep sharing messages with people and keep pursuing me. And so, Once I was in, I was in, and my loyalty, again, could be a great thing because you can't really, you can't change my mind once I, and everyone around me thought I was crazy for doing it. Um, They didn't think this was a wise choice. My dad sat me down and said, do you realize that you are going to have five children under the age of eight? And I was like, yeah, I am. And I think I'm going to rock it because I'm a great mom and I was created to nurture and I was created to love. And these little boys needed some stability and nurture and love. So we blended our families. And um, then this deep desire to have another baby came out in me, which was shocking to me at 30 years old. And after two miscarriages, carriages, we were able to carry Noah William to term. And he is the joy of our life. Um, he is the best of his dad and I without any of the darkness and he was the best thing that I definitely did in my thirties. So we have this blended family and we're still going through all this turmoil with the courts, but, um, we really were bonding on a deep level as, as a family of seven and then eight. And then my husband said, Hey, I feel like we're supposed to move to Africa. Um, and at that time we had 16 to four and, um, I said, well, that's great. I'm all in. I can minister anywhere to anyone. I love this, but I'm not going to fight six children, four of who are, are currently teenagers. And so one by one, we all gave our yes and we all moved. We had no idea what it was going to be like. We had no idea what we were up against. We had no idea the kind of spiritual... Um, heaviness that sits on Africa and how it was going to affect us. We uh, we sat with babies that couldn't function their, their bowels properly because they had been so abused. We um, sat with women that were feeding 90 children out of one pot that really didn't have enough money to take care of herself and had no biological tie to any of these children, yet took care of all of them. Um, I just kept meeting women that I was so inspired by And and I kept watching their lives and all that they gave away and how they didn't complain and how they just kept going and they kept showing up. And I noticed that women have this amazing strength that having a partner and having a man to share your life with is brilliant. Like anyone that will carry that load with you, it's such a good thing. And I'm so thankful for it. But I've noticed that women in situations where men die, where men walk out, where they just won't show up. They uh, whatever the situation is. I've noticed women will take whatever their responsibility is, and they will take on whatever they're left with, and they'll carry it. And so, Africa was amazing and and extremely challenging. They wouldn't renew our visas. Um, all these details are in my book. And so, we ended up coming back to America quickly. We had nowhere to live. We didn't have a car. We, uh, we didn't we didn't have anything because we kind of sold out for the Africa idea, and it was a long-term idea. When it got cut short, we were bounced back into the U.S., um, and our family wasn't uh, prepared for the, for the extreme cultural shift. And all the trauma that our, our kids had gone through when they were small, losing a parent, divorce, um, custody battle, the whole, everything that they'd been through, kind of bubbled up to the surface. It was like a a band-aid got ripped off or the scab got ripped off. And we started uh, resenting each other and going into our separate spaces in the house. And um, our kids were living in this very affluent area, but we were really, really broke. It was 2008 and nothing was working. Um, And I don't think our kids realized that a lot of people were going through at the time. I think they were just looking at their classmates and saying, you know, their parents just bought them a brand new car and you guys have one car for all of us. And it was a time where I was absorbing all the pain of the people around me and tucking it deep within my nervous system because I had to keep going. And I think that God does put that fight or flight in us to get us through moments like when I'm on the hiking trail, if I do hear the growl of a bear, God put extra fight or flight in me so that I can decide at that moment: Am I gonna, am I gonna find the adrenaline to fight this, or am I gonna run away? I will run away. And um, our bodies cannot maintain that for years on end. And that's kind of the journey that I started at that time with really severe illnesses that took me out for days at a time. No one could find the answer to. Um, at the time, I didn't know anyone that had the story. Since I've told my story, I've met hundreds of women that are currently still really struggling and, and doctors don't have the answers. Um, it's a very lonely place to be. It For me, it was extremely shameful because I was raised around really high energy, high productive people. And I am a, a high production person not a high energy person and to be kind of crawled into a ball in my bed for sometimes days at a time in so much pain and so much fatigue that I couldn't move. I was just ashamed. So I lied about it all the time. Gary had to make excuses for me all the time about why we weren't going to certain events or why I wasn't there or why people hadn't heard back from me. And it really put him in a difficult position. I never really even thought about what that was doing to him, but I didn't want him to tell people I was sick and, in this, our, our kids really started lashing out in their own ways. There, there was depression that kind of came to the surface. There was um, anxiety that came to the surface. They were all struggling separately, differently, and in the same ways. And in that, our, our son, our middle son, uh, Michael Ryan, um, really got into some dark things and um, There was a lot of lying and a lot of manipulation and a lot of deception. So we didn't have the full picture. He would go missing sometimes for days. His appearance started to change. Um, his attitude changed, his temperament changed. Um, He started getting dark circles under his eyes and he was an athlete. And it was obvious that there was a great deal of drug use going on. And every time we'd set the boundary for what we expected of him in our home and what we wanted him to do to pull his life back together, he would just leave and he'd be gone for sometimes weeks at a time. Um, and then he would come back and promises would be made and we would take him back in and we're so happy that he was with us and he was safe. And that journey went on for uh, about a year and a half or two. And then he decided that he was going to take a scholarship with his brother to play rugby in um, St. Louis. And he went out there with no money and no plan and and not really listening to the advice of us and, and us asking him to slow down and let's like rebuild. And But he was always in a hurry to fix everything that had been broken in his life, and he didn't have a lot of patience in that. Um, and um, he was really struggling mentally as well. And I still, looking back on it, it was the perfect storm of the most horrendous things. And he took his own life um, on April uh, 17th. 2013. And that's nine years ago now. And um, our family still has really struggled with his death. It it took us when we were drowning to just a complete different level of pain. Um, And we were not in a healthy place when that happened. And we were all concerned about him. And he was taking a great deal of the energy in the family. And a lot of resentment came up with other kids in that. And um, It's been nine years and we're still we're still trying to figure out exactly what happened. I don't think we'll ever know. We are all trying to heal. It has been um, quite a journey of grief in that time soon after he died. um, My health hit. I have never in my life experienced that kind of constant travail of losing a child that way it um, it completely took me out. I couldn't barely even function. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I would go sometimes three days without sleeping. And my health deteriorated to a, a point that was scary. And my husband came up with a plan with his friends that we needed to get me to a quiet place and get some healing and that Gary needs some healing. And so he said to me, we're moving to Spain. Never thought about Spain. Never really even thought that much about looking it up on the map, let alone moving there, didn't know anything about it, sold everything again, and left behind four of our children and took our youngest child with us and moved there. For my husband, it became a very healing place of mentorship, and 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 he felt surrounded and loved, and he started walking back into what he was called to and started coming alive again. I never really did. I um, continued to just really struggle with my health, and I was very, very stuck. I could not move past the place that I was in, which was just a place of real being very traumatized. And um, I continued to kind of, I gave out to the women around me and the the young people around me, but I wasn't ever, I don't know, fully present because I was just in so much pain. And it really was not until we moved back to the States uh, two years ago now that I really started experiencing some healing. And I really started like looking at what was happening with my body, look at what had happened to my soul, look at what had happened to my heart, look at what had happened to my family, um, the state of my marriage, the just all the different things that happened and really started taking personal responsibility for it and saying, now, what part did I play in this? What part did I damage my marriage in? What part did I damage my body in? Where have I been abusing my body and thinking I was doing good things for it? Where have I refused to ever rest um, and been ashamed to rest and not even understood what that word meant and never gave my body, my heart, my mind, my soul any way to heal from all of this. And what has happened has been a complete full circle, I feel like, to the little girl that grew up in Michigan who used to run through the forest with muddy socks at three years old by myself, just talking to God and connecting to God. And it's important for you to know that we did not go to church at that time. My parents did not belong to any church. We didn't talk about God at the dinner table. It wasn't a discussion. As far as I knew, I was the only person in the family talking to God. But what that says to me is there's a connection there that doesn't require religion. In fact, religion is what kills our connection to God. It is the relationship and the direct connection to him that is so pure and natural. And I've gone back to that. I've gone back to the mountains. I've gone back to the hiking trails. I've gone back to sitting quietly In his presence and not asking anything, not saying anything, not not asking him to heal me, not asking to heal my body, not praying, not crying, begging out for my kids, but just reconnecting with him. And in this process, I have uh, written a, a book that is in my entire memoir. But it really is the connection of being a little girl and the sacred things in our life. My, my first husband was sacred to me. My body has always been sacred to me. I've always um, tried to protect it from things that would would harm it. I, I didn't just let anyone touch me. I didn't let anyone kiss me. I, I was careful with those things because I knew that there was more to it than just my lips. There was more to it than just my body, that, that anything that touched my body or entered my body was going to enter my spirit as well. I knew those things instinctively and was protective of those things. My children were precious and, and sacred to me and they still are. But in that, I've also had to acknowledge the, the violation of sacred things in my life and every woman has had them and we're never gonna be able to get away from them on the earth. The question is, what are we being asked to protect and what are we being asked to protect in other women and where should we be fighting for them? and? Where has that violation hap- happened where the Lord is saying, "Out, oh, it's time to bring healing to this. And I can promise you, your healing is going to come body, soul, spirit, mind, heart. It's all connected. You can't heal one and ignore the others. So welcome to the sacred things. This is an introduction to what I feel like the Lord has shown me are the stages of a woman's life, the different things that we go through, It's not black and white. Thank God it's as different for every woman as it is um, for every little girl. And we see the world differently. We have a different kind of relationship with God. It's unique. It's sacred. But I'm seeing that women are really craving something to go a little deeper than where we have been going. And the the trend with self-care right now, great, love it. But I'm finding that women are saying, okay, I I did that and I I still am broken on the inside or I've just paid all these therapists and all these life coaches and I've done everything they said and I'm still broken on the inside. Thinking we're always kind of just focusing on one part instead of the whole. So this is a journey into healing of the whole. This is a journey where you're going to hear a lot of different average Ordinary women like myself who have been asked to do extraordinary things. And I do believe that we are ordinary women asked to do extraordinary things. And I don't think it's inner strength that we find that from. I really feel like it's our connection to God and our understanding of who Jesus is, not to who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and the way that he specifically ministered to women in his mortal body and the risk that he was taking there, and the lesson that we can take out of how much he values women. So this is just a time of celebrating our femininity. It is going to be amazing. I'm excited about it. Doing um, just just meeting with women once a month um, here in this space and also doing everything online so women can tap in at any time they want. You can join whenever you want. You can move on with your life. You can say it's not for me. You can send it to someone else. I don't care. I have to do what God's asked me to do, and so I'm going to do it. So if you want to join on this journey, you are very welcome.